this last study that I'll be doing with you, unless, of course, I get invited back to do the rest of the book, we're looking at Nehemiah and the characteristics or the character of a man of God. Now, we've seen it throughout the first five chapters. But there are some specific things that we see here that help us to understand how a man or a woman of God should live. Now, we we look at Nehemiah in chapter 5, and we see from verse 14 of chapter 5 his own generosity. Now, it's common practice for people in positions of authority to insist that they have a remuneration commensurate with the responsibilities they have. We often hear justification of the inordinately large salaries paid to chief executives with the phrase, it's necessary to get the best man for the job. Nehemiah, however, gives a very different perspective. For he put the work and the glory of God above his own personal interests. Nehemiah was the top man. He was the governor appointed by the king to rule over Jerusalem. In verse 14, we read, Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. Isn't that amazing? For 12 years, and we read later on in that passage, that there were at least 150 people that ate at his table every day, as well as those that came in from outside. And all these were sustained from Nehemiah's own pocket. The first thing that we want to notice about the characteristic of a man of God or a person of God is the chief concern is for the glory of God. We may not have high position. We may not have any influence. But no matter what our position, no matter what our status If we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and we want to be accounted as faithful servants of the Lord, the first and chief requirement is that we have our chief concern for the honour and the glory of God. We all know that, don't we? After all, we learn the catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And yet, do we really put it into practice the way Nehemiah did? 
As governor, he was certainly entitled to be provided for out of the public purse. But he knew that to do what others before him had done would not advance the work that he had been called to do. Now, we saw this morning that there was great poverty amongst the people. There had been a famine. And so many of the people were in dire straits. And Nehemiah knew that if he was to take the remuneration that he was owed, it would look bad. And it wouldn't advance the kingdom of God. It wouldn't advance the work that he was set to do. He realized, and I want you to bear this in mind for later on, he realized that he was in the position he was because God had placed him in it. I want you to apply that to your situation. We'll come back to that. Now, Nehemiah was undoubtedly the best man for the job. But this did not lead to pride, but to an understanding that he was God's man doing God's work. He says in verse 15, when he was speaking about those who went before him, but I did not do so. Why? Because of the fear of God. I did not do that because of the fear of God. So his chief concern was that God would be honored, that God would be glorified. Now, as the leader of the people, he could well have sat back and got others to do the work. Nehemiah, however, was a leader who led from the front. Look at verse 16. I also persevered in the work on this wall. He says, we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. So unlike those leaders who went before him, Nehemiah did not seek to enrich himself, but rather used his own personal resources to ensure that those who were in difficulties were provided with sufficient to enable them to continue the building. I wonder, are there any of our politicians who leave office poorer than when they went in? I think it's highly unlikely. Most of them seem to get extra jobs with different companies or whatever, and they seem to come out of Parliament far wealthier than they were when they went in. Nehemiah was not like that. Here is a man with a vision for the work of God, a desire for the honour and glory of God, a willingness to sacrifice to advance the cause of God, and a man with a love and compassion for the people of God. 
Can you imagine anything better being said about any of us? A man or a woman with a vision for the work of God, a desire for the honour and glory of God, a willingness to sacrifice time, money, whatever, to advance the cause of God, and someone with a love and compassion for the people of God. It should be our prayer that God would make us people like that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if at the end of our lives somebody could stand up and say that truly about us? That's what we should pray for, for ourselves. We should pray it for our brethren. And we should pray that God would raise up such people in our congregation. It's clear that the outstanding characteristic of Nehemiah was that he sought to live his life in the presence of the living God. That seems clear, not just in this particular chapter, but as you read all the way through the book of of Nehemiah. When he asked that God should remember him and all he was doing for the cause of God, he says in verse 19, Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. He didn't stand before the nobles or the people who supported him with the boast of all that he had done. There was nothing of the pride of the Pharisee that Jesus spoke of in Luke 18, verses 9 to 17. He was opening his heart before the Lord in the place of prayer. He didn't seek the praise of uh, of men but only the approval of God. And that's what he's doing there. Remember, for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. And it is entirely right and proper that the child of God should, in his private times with God, seek to know that he has divine approval for the work that he is doing for the Lord. It is so easy to work hard on a project or undertake undertake something thinking that we are going in the right direction without ever committing it to God to seek his blessing and his direction. Now, Nehemiah knew that rebuilding the wall was in the plan and purpose of God. But nevertheless, he asks God, and he says, Oh God, am I doing this right? Is this what you want? Constantly seeking to know the word and the will of God. Now, Nehemiah was not doing the work because he expected to be rewarded for doing it. He did nevertheless realize 
that faithfulness in the tasks given by the Lord is rewarded. The scripture teaches us that God's servants are given tasks to perform for the master and are given talents to use in his service. And they will have to answer for the way these tasks are performed and how the talents are used. There are some here who are elders. You've been given a task by God. One day, you have to give an account for that. I have been ordained as a minister of the word. And one day, I must give an account to God for the way I have exercised that ministry. You have been given tasks to do. One day, you must answer to God for the way you have exercised the gifts that he has given you. And you may not have office in the church, but God has given to you talents and gifts. Many of you have talents and gifts that I don't have. How are you using those talents in the service of the master? One day, as Jesus told us in one of his parables, one day the master will ask, what have you done? What did you do with the gifts that I gave you? How have you exercised those gifts for my honor and my glory? See, Nehemiah was a man who was working not for human recognition, not for financial reward, but for the honor and glory of God. The second thing we see in this chapter concerning the characteristics of a person, a man of God, is that he uses his God-given attributes wisely. He uses his God-given attributes wisely. Not only did Nehemiah have to cope with discouragement from within due to the greed of some of the wealthier members of Jerusalem, as we saw this morning, but he now also has to deal with a continuing and intensifying opposition from Sanballat and his friends. That's what we have in chapter 6. Look at the beginning. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and let us meet together. News of the progress of the rebuilding had reached the, end, the ears of the enemies of the work. And they were alarmed because the work was nearly complete. If they did not take action, 
before the doors were hung in their place, their opportunity to halt the work would be over. Ridicule and threats had not worked, so now they adopt a more subtle approach. A message was sent to Nehemiah. It seems that it was in a letter inviting him to meet in one of the villages in the plain of Ono, which was some 20 to 30 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Now, the purpose of this meeting was not stated, but the impression that was given was that it was to try and reach some kind of accommodation some kind of compromise with, uh, with Nehemiah. But they intended, he said, to do me harm. They intended to do me harm. And here we have another characteristic of the man of God. He uses his God-given attributes wisely. Obviously, Nehemiah was a clever man. We notice that in all that he did. But what Nehemiah had and what he used effectively was his discernment. His discernment. And if we are to be men and women of God, men and women who glorify God. We need that same discernment that Nehemiah had. You see, he immediately saw what, what lay behind the invitation. He realized that although this invitation was couched in friendly terms, their intention was to do him harm. Now this invitation was repeated four times. Four times they sent a letter to Nehemiah inviting him to come to this place in, uh, in the, the valley of Ono, in the plain of Ono. And although it was repeated four times, he steadfastly refused to respond and to exceed. And this sort of situation is not unknown to the child of God, especially to those in positions of leadership. Alan Redpath, writing on this passage, says this, whether you be a pastor or a teacher or evangelist or Sunday school teacher or whatever your position may be in Christian leadership, let me say that there will always be those who are friendly to your face but who plan your downfall behind your back. He says, beware of the fawning, flattering Christian who is always flattering around you and who behind your back will be the first to rejoice when you go down.
But one of the fundamental characteristics that you see in Nehemiah is spiritual discernment. Now, in many ways, when he received this invitation, he could easily have thought uh, that there's been a softening in the approach of Sanballat. He really wants to get on. He's given up trying to oppose the work. He could easily have thought that because he had an invitation that seemed to be amenable. It seemed to be pleasant. It didn't seem to carry any sort of threat at all. But Nehemiah was wise. He had spiritual discernment. It would have been so easy for him to think that they were sincerely seeking to mend relationships with him. Especially when they repeated the invitation four times. He could easily have thought, they must be serious. This really is something that they, they must want desperately. After all, this is the fourth time. This is the fourth letter they've sent to me. But the discernment that God gave Nehemiah enabled him to see things as God saw them. You see, the enemies of Nehemiah were out to stop the rebuilding of the walls, a task that had been given to Nehemiah by God. So what was there to talk about? What was there to discuss? They wanted the wall building stopped. Nehemiah was commissioned by God to complete it. So what was there to talk about? Sanballat and his friends had been trying everything they knew to stop the work. And the only way to mend relationships with Nehemiah and Nehemiah knew this, the only way for relations to be mended was for Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem to repent of their sins and to stop opposing the work of God and to fully support Nehemiah in his enterprise. You see, that is spiritual discernment. Nehemiah could have thought, well, Maybe this will ease the pressure on myself if I meet with these men. Maybe we can come to some sort of accommodation. But Nehemiah had this fixed purpose. God has sent me to build this wall and build this wall I will do. And I will not allow anything to distract me from that. Discernment is the ability to judge matters according to God's view and not according to their outward appearance. We are often deceived by outward appearance, but
But we, we remember in 1 Samuel 16 and 7, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Many Christians fall into sin or error because of a lack of discernment, a failure to look at things from a biblical perspective. I suggest three ways in which we can develop our spiritual discernment. First of all, when we have a thorough understanding of the Word of God. When we become more and more like the Bereans in Acts 17 and 11, the Bereans were commended because they tested the teaching of the Apostle Paul by the Scriptures. Spiritual discernment comes to us as we more and more feed upon the Word of God. The more we know of the Scriptures, the better we will, pre- will be preserved from making these presumptuous errors. The more and more we know of the Scripture, the more we will be, the more we will think of things the way God sees them and not the way that men see them. A thorough understanding of the Word of God. That's the first thing. The second way that discernment can be developed is growth in grace and knowledge of the Lord. Hebrews 5 and verses 12 to 14 tell us that spiritual babes believe anything, but the spiritually mature test all things. We are commanded to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We need to ask ourselves the question, Have I grown in grace from this time last year? Am I more like Christ now than I was this time last year? Do I know more of his word now than I knew this time last year? Do I understand his purposes more than I did this time last year? Some Christians, it seems, never seem to grow. They never seem to grow in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge of the Word of God. They never seem to grow in likeness to Christ. If we have a newborn baby who doesn't grow, It's a terrible tragedy, isn't it? And yet, somehow, spiritually, we seem quite content not to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So discernment is developed by a thorough understanding of the Word of God, growth in grace and knowledge of the Lord. And the third thing is by asking God. 
Doesn't James say, you do not have because you don't ask? You don't have because you don't ask. And we remember from 1 Corinthians 12 and 10 that discernment is a gift of the Spirit. Do we ask God for discernment? Do we ask him how best to live in this wicked world? Do we ask God for discernment in our daily tasks, in our daily work, whatever that may be? Discernment. God, a faithful servant of God, uses his God-given attributes wisely, especially with regard to discernment. The third thing we have here is this spiritual man, this man after God's own heart, the character of a man of God, he has commitment and focus. Commitment and focus. Not only did Nehemiah have great discernment, but he also had great commitment and focus on the task that he had been called upon to undertake. He has that wonderful phrase, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Even if the invitation from Sanballat had been benign, which it wasn't, it would still have been a distraction. Nehemiah understood that for the time that he would be away from Jerusalem, the work would effectively cease. So there was a distraction presented to him. But Nehemiah was committed to the work. This is my work. I'm not going to leave it to go anywhere else and to do anything else. This is my work. I'm committed to it and I'm focused upon it. And distraction is a great weapon in the hands of the evil one. James Philip makes a very pertinent comment when he says this. It's a fairly long quote, but I'll quote it anyway. He saw, as many today in the church do not seem to, that certain things, however plausible or well-meaning, however laudable in themselves, simply get in the way of the work being done. And he refused to have anything to do with them. There are many things in which we could be involved in, many things which might seem good on the surface. They may seem laudable on the surface. But do they take us away from the work of God? 
Now the task that Nehemiah was doing may have seen seemed rather mundane. It was building work. Well, surely anybody could do that. A job that many other people would have been able to do. Yet for him, it was a great work, not because the actual building of the wall of Jerusalem was great in itself, As I say, many other people could have done the work, but it was a great work because it was the work that God had called him to do. It was the work that God had called him to do, and so it was a great work. And if God calls you to wash dishes, it's a great work because it's the work that God has given you to do. And this is how it is for Christians. You are where you are because that's where God has placed you. Now, it may seem an ordinary, mundane, not terribly important task, but if that's where God has placed you, then it is indeed a great work. And it's a work that you should not leave without God calling you to something else. Every Christian is given the task of living for the Lord Jesus Christ and demonstrating that no matter what the trials or the inducements that may cause him to waver or to change direction, He knows that he is doing a great job, a great work, and will not be diverted from it. And so for the man or woman of God, our chief concern must be the glory of God. Above everything else, our chief concern, like Nehemiah, was the glory of God. But we recognize that God has given us gifts, abilities, and we are to use them wisely. We recognize that the devil is subtle. We realize that he uses all kinds of uh, tactics to make us fall. And so we need to develop real spiritual discernment. But we need to be committed. We need to be focused. Focused on the work that God has given us to do, both in our ordinary daily tasks and also in the work of the congregation. The story is told of a missionary in China. A man who was a very talented linguist. He was offered a job by a company in China at a vastly expanded salary from what he got as a missionary. He rejected the offer with these words. It's not your salary that's too little. It's the job that's too small. It's not that your salary is too little. 
is that the job is too small. Because, you see, he was doing God's work. And like Nehemiah, he said, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot and I will not come down. Just one further comment to make before we leave Nehemiah here. There's a lot in chapter 6. But I want to draw your attention in closing to verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. So this enormous, this wall that extended over two miles, this wall that was very wide and very tall, was completed in 52 days. What a remarkable thing. And the wall was completed because there was a man there with dedication, with concern, with love, with vision, a man who wanted to glorify God and he was able to inspire the people to be the same in spite of all the opposition, in spite of the talking, in spite of the criticism, in spite of the threats of violence, yet the work was completed in only 52 days. May I suggest that for the work of God, for the work of rebuilding the walls here, we need to ask God for more men and women like Nehemiah with the same commitment with the same desire, with the same concern, above all, for the glory of God. May God enable us to be men and women like Nehemiah.